Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we look back on the first major of the year and Colin Morikawa's sensational PJ Championship victory. Hi, I'm Nick Doherty, and you're listening to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello, and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name's Tom Clark, uh, a very sleepy Tom Clark, actually, and I'm joined by Elliot Heath. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Tom. Yeah, very sleepy as well. And also yeah. Nick Bonfield. How you doing, Nick? Hello there, I feel fabulous. I'm in peak mental and physical condition. As, well, as ever, Nick, as ever. Uh, but the reason why we're all a little bit sleepy and we're not really sure what time zone uh, we're in is because we've obviously been up most of the evening, uh, most of the night, uh, watching the fantastic PJ Championship being played over at TPC Harley Park uh, in San Francisco, where we saw a quite amazing performance by Colin Morikawa. Uh, who won his first major in his 27th pro start. And really, usually I now then ask Nick uh, or Nick and Elliot how they play golf this weekend, but I don't actually care because I think all we should do is is talk about Mr. Morikawa's incredible uh, victory. Uh, it was awesome, wasn't it, Elliot? Yeah, 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 it was incredible. We, we've seen how good he's played since he's turned professional. Uh, I think he even said last week it'd be interesting to see how him... Uh, Wolf and Hovland do because there's so much hype around them and yeah he just stepped up that shot on 16 was just phenomenal it's going to be one of the best shots probably well at least this year uh, definitely I don't know if it's a major moment that we've seen in history I, I wasn't alive for for Woods winning in 97 well I was but you know I wasn't watching it but obviously we don't. How, how old were you in 1997 Elliot? Uh, I would have been two years old. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't want to big him up. You can't remember it. You're ridiculous. <laughs> but I don't want to big him up too much. But perhaps we, we've just seen the start of what is going to be a phenomenal career. What do you, what do you think, Nick? Do you think this is, a, was this a, a moment in history? Are we going to be looking back at this in 10, 15 years' time and remembering Morikawa's first major win? I, it's hard to say at this point. I mean, Am I? Do I think he's going to get to double-digit majors? Probably not. That's just probably me thinking there are so many good players in the game at the moment. But that's not to take anything away from his performance. I mean, first in driving accuracy, first in strokes game putting, and first in proximity to the hole. Especially given that everyone talks about the fact he's outside the top 100 in strokes game putting normally. Um, and obviously, as Elliot said, that shot on 16 was fabulous. But he still had to roll in the eight-footer. And I think he only had, what, 25 putts? all day in the final round of a major championship on a stacked leaderboard and didn't make a single bogey. Yeah, what what performance. Um, and, and to do that and to have such composure in only a second major championship with the likes of Dustin Johnson, Rose, Day, um, Brooks Kepka all breathing down his neck as well. Kepka wasn't breathing down his neck, but all in position after 54 holes. It's just testament to his character and quality. Yeah, it, it was an amazing uh, performance. Let, let's look at a couple of the stats. So, shot a final round 64 to beat Paul Casey and Dustin Johnson by two. Finished at 13 under par. Uh, lowest weekend total by any major winner in history, 129 strokes. Just let that sink in. So, it's the, the lowest strokes ever in history of major golf. Uh, he's now three wins 
already. Barracuda, Workday Charity Open and the PGA Championship. And he's now up to fifth in the world already. Um, you know, he's, yeah, so he, he, he won that major on his 27th pro start. It is an incredible start to a pro career. And I, I, do, I do remember Tiger winning in 97. And it did really feel like a big change had happened for so many things. Uh, you know, Tiger winning at, at Augusta, where it was, and the, and the way that he did it. I'm not sure it feels quite the same as that, but it is something that's going to be really noted down, I think. And, we, we, you know, he's going to be up there for, for every major now, isn't he? He's no longer going to be able to fly under the radar. So that's the big, probably the big pressure for him, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's got the game. And, and like Nigel said, the key word, I think, is composure. He didn't, you know, look nervous. He just looks so cool and uh, composed and just makes golf look easy. There were so many good experienced players, again, like you said, Nigel. And just the way that he he outclassed them and uh, kind of old manned them, I guess you would say, was um, phenomenal. And with his ball striking, yeah, he's got to be a factor at every single major now. Obviously, he's not going to win every single major, but... Uh, you can definitely make a case for him winning plenty more over the next few years. He, he hits the ball 320 yards in the middle of the fairway on every fairway. <laughs> it's going to be pretty tough to beat, isn't he? Uh, it almost got off to a poor start for him, didn't it? I mean, he had to roll in, what, 20-footer at the first green to save par and just went from strength from strength, went from strength to strength from there. And it's hard. I mean, he will have good spells, he will have bad spells, but you've got to think based off that performance in just a second major that he's going to be winning five majors plus throughout the course of his career. Also, as well, uh, the, the amount of confidence he's going to gain from that as well. Like You look at uh, someone similar to him, like Victor Hovland or Matt Wolf. They've they're clearly phenomenal ball strikers as well and great players, but they don't have the confidence that they just want a major on the biggest stage against the best players. And I'm really interested to see how he's going to carry that forward. Also very interesting that supposedly the weakness of his game is passing turned into his strength on a major Sunday. If he can bring that level of performance in the weakest area of his game in the most pressure-filled situation, then that's an indication of someone that's going to have an extremely fruitful career. Yeah, and it, it was it was there. The, you know, the tournament was there for someone to do something special to win it. It was such a tightly packed leaderboard, wasn't it? We were expecting. Well, I think we were all expecting it, that to be to come from DJ, to, you know, to to knock in a couple of birdies and suddenly get a couple of stroke stroke lead, and that, and that never happened. And Morikawa just. You know, just everything aligned for him, you know, the chipping and then followed by that incredible uh, drive on uh, 16, which I was going to talk to you about, Nick, because I think that, I know you always say that the best shot in golf in history is uh, that Wai Yang uh, approach to the 18th with his five wood from about 140 yards or whatever it was. <laughs> but will you concede that Colin Morikawa's drive at 16 was a better shot than that Wai Yang? I probably won't. <laughs> no, whilst acknowledging that it was a great shot and, and timing is everything in golf, isn't it? And, and to seize the momentum at that point when someone was clearly going to break out the pack was, again, an indication of his temperament. Um, I thought it was really interesting without fans as well because I wonder how much of an impact that had. Um, you can say he'd been in good form, so possibly no impact. Um, but I, I wonder if there would be more people in that leaderboard who fell away and more people who surged with the crowds. I mean, for example, Paul Casey... We don't often see rounds like that um, in major weekend golf, do we, from Paul Casey? I fully expected him to fall away. Finau surged, um, and I just wonder had think, would have, if things would have played out differently if there were crowds there. I mean, obviously, it's impossible to say, but um, 
with Morikawa, you suspect it wouldn't have made much of a difference, but would it li- would it have lifted DJ Kepka players like that? You know, who knows? This is all hypothesising here, but I suspect there was an impact there. Yeah, players. It was a very weird day. Players like Scotty Scheffler, who's never even won on the PGA Tour, looked incredible. He, he was on that. Oh, so so front. impressed with Scheffler. Really was. And uh, and Cameron Champ as well, a youngster. Like, yeah, I think the fans, or the lack of fans, probably did make a difference because for the first what two three hours of play. Nobody was backing down. Mm. Apart from Kepka. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Kepka, we'll come on to Kepka in a little while. But I mean, let, let's talk about the, the course and the setup at TPC Hardy Park. Before we uh, started this, I think you said that you weren't impressed with the course, but I would absolutely loved it. I thought it looked really pristine. But the way that they set it up with a few drivable par fours, you know, uh, and playable par threes, I, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I thought visually it looked, it looked amazing watching a major tournament where you could actually see the golf course. You could actually see the whole of the golf course without grandstands being up in the way or or, or the crowds. Now, the you know, you lost you lost the atmosphere of the crowds, but I think you actually gained a little bit from actually being able to, to see the course. And I was really impressed with, with how the course was. And I think the players loved it, how it was set up as well. Oh, maybe on reflection, I was a little bit harsh there i liked the fact that there were two drivable par fours i think it's probably just the fact that there are quite a few par fours around the 460 mark that were quite samey um but in, in fairness the pj of america did a good job setting the greens up at what were they just under 12 on the stint meter encouraging aggressive play thought the rough was tough but fair obviously you could you could catch a good lie but sometimes it would burrow right down to the roots and you'd be forced to lay up um, there were trees flanking most of the fairways which informed strategic decisions yeah, on reflection, I was a little bit harsh, but maybe it's just the fact that I like to see four par fives in the PGA Championship. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I loved the fact that the rough was up. It was it was so penal and it just rewarded great play and that's what a major championship should do. Sometimes when you have a PGA Championship, the, the winner's 15 under, 20 under, something like that. And uh, this felt a little bit more like the US Open, but I thought the course was amazing and and rewarded good shots and punished bad ones, which is exactly what a, a great golf course should do. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was just fair. I think you, you said that. Nick. Yeah, I thought it was a really fair test. You know, you, you may get the odd, you know, bit of bad luck as you would on, on any golf course, or good luck as well, actually. But you know, it's amazing that rough wasn't that thick. It was up a bit, but it wasn't that thick. And you do wonder why PJ Tour don't have more courses with a little bit of more rough in it. So instead of the twenty-eight under par winning. You know, it's, it's it's under twenty or something like that. I think it it's a much fairer test, and it means that all the all parts of your game are tested out. So uh, I, I thought I thought it was excellent, and I think more more than anything, I think the thing which I really enjoyed was actually just seeing a major championship for the first time in a year. Completely forgot what it was going to be like. Didn't probably understand how much uh, how much people were going to get behind it and and really watch it. And it was it was really exciting. I thought the golf really lived up to it, um, and Thank God that major championships are back. Yeah. Just sticking with the court for a second, something else I really enjoyed was the fact that the bunkers, the greenside bunkers specifically, were actual hazards. Mm. Often you see players on the PJ Tour short-siding themselves and because there's a, a good amount of sand in the bunkers, they can still flop it out and get it quite close. But if, For example, DJ on the 10th hole, I mean, he shot, went for that pin, short-sided himself and couldn't get it within about 25 feet. And the players were talking all week about the fact there wasn't too much sand in the bunkers. And I actually thought that added a, another slightly different fun element to it too. I think you're spot on there. I've actually had forgotten about that. There's a bit of moaning from the players saying, oh, there's not enough sand in them. It's like, well, don't go in them. 
Don't go chasing sucker pins then and risk you not be able to yeah, get up and down then. It brings, bring, brings strategy to the four again, which we always say is important in this age of, of everyone bombing it so far. Yeah, it's um, yeah, absolutely right. You know, it's amazing. They, they worked out there wasn't enough sand in them straight away. You know, so I don't know why they were still moaning about it on Sunday. You know that there wasn't enough sand in those bunkers for your usual, you know, get up and down from from inside a paper bag, you know, uh, kind of shot. So, uh, no, I thought this, the course was brilliant. Uh, uh, let, let's touch on some of the uh, other players and other headlines um, from, from the event. I mean, DJ fails to convert his fourth 54-hole major lead. Why do you think he has such a mental block over getting uh, a 54-hole lead over the line? Well, I, I think that he went out with the lead and probably thought that he had it in the bag. I mean, he played all right on the front nine, but... Obviously, just thought all I need to do is shoot two or three under par today, and I'm going to win. And yeah, it just didn't happen for him. And he obviously saw the leaderboard, saw that he needed to make up some ground, and uh, did a really good finish. But yeah, I just think it was a bit lethargic from him, and he didn't go out to win. He just went out not to lose. I'd say. I mean, I agree, and, and I thought it was a poor performance to be honest. I think Elliot, you've been quite generous there. What well, he he birdied the first, and to me, it looked like he got quite lucky with his approach there, and then just wasn't aggressive at all. Didn't really seize the moment and take it on. And surrounded in the final group with him and, and surrounded by him on the leader were a lot of players who were young, inexperienced and who you expected to fall away. I thought the front line was a time for DJ to really assert his authority in the tournament. And he drove the ball quite well, but his iron play was poor. It was quite conservative. And he just didn't really grab the tournament by the scruff of the neck like I thought he was going to, especially given that Brooks faltered early and was probably out of contention after six or seven holes. Yeah, yeah, the amount of uh, iron shots he hit to about 40 or 50 foot and just lagged it up for a two-putt, get his par. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, you know, I think we've seen the last two PJs, although Kutka had a bit of an issue last year, actually he goes out to win, doesn't he? He goes out to try and, you know, win it properly, get away from the field, um, you know, keep making birdies. I think, yeah, you, I think you're both right that he just, DJ just didn't seem to be quite aggressive enough, which is very unlike him. Um so, yeah, it was, I think, a disappointing performance for him. And he'll probably look back at a you know, massive chance missed here. You know, he actually didn't play. When Morikawa suddenly went away and made that eagle, he suddenly then held that huge birdie putt what, on 16, was it? He chipped yeah. in on 16. Chipped in, sorry, on 16. I mean, the ridiculous chip in from 16 uh -huh. as well when he's in all kinds of trouble. And then he held a, a lengthy birdie putt on uh, 18 as well, didn't he? So, it's, you know... If he'd just done that a little bit earlier, I think the pressure would have been much more on Morikawa to finish off the job. So I think a big, a big chance missed. Although, I, I, having said that, he shot 68 for the final group on a Sunday. You know, can't blame him too much. That's still a decent round of golf. Yeah. But he knew, he, yeah, he knew that that probably wasn't going to be enough before he started. You know, the, as soon as they the players started playing yesterday, you saw that scoring was pretty decent. I think Ryan Palmer shot 64 really early doors. Uh, ben Ann, I think, was, well, he had a hole in one, but he, he was shooting quite low as well, early doors as well. So he, he, probably, thought, he probably knew that there was going to be someone, you know, behind who's going to shoot a 65 or something like that. So he knew he was going to have to make some birdies. Uh, you know, it wasn't a US Open, just par 18 holes and you win. Um, you know, he, he knew he was going to have to do some scoring. And I just don't think he, I don't think, just don't think he was aggressive enough, as we said. Um, someone who I thought we, we all think did, pretty well I think is Paul Casey his best ever major performance really you'd say I know he was 
second at what the 2010 Open Championship? No, he was third there, and that was when uh, Louis won won by yeah. millions of shots. So he wasn't really ever. He didn't really yeah. have that much pressure so, but, on him then. Yeah, Westwood was second, I think, that in that in that event, wasn't he? In case he was one shot back. So um, yeah, he, he, yeah, you're right. He was in he was in contention all the way, and I think his his interview afterwards. I'm not sure if, if you saw it or not. Where he just said, you know what, I've just think I played really good golf. I'm not sure I could have done any better. I just got beaten than someone who played slightly better than me this week. I thought there's a really honest appraisal of his own of his own performance. Yeah, yeah. Look, looking back, I, th- I think he bogeyed 12, which was quite a soft one from the front of the green. But then he birdied the 13th straight away. And uh, yeah, I think Knight said earlier that he expected Casey to fall away, and and I kind of did as well. We just got used to seeing that throughout his career. But uh, it, it was amazing to see him play this well and uh, almost fulfil his potential. I think, like you said, Klaza, I think he's very happy with how he played. I don't really think he can have any regrets. And, and his birdie on 16, I thought, was phenomenal from uh, from the bunker during the clutch moments when he really needed to get that up and down. He did. And at the time, I thought that might be enough for a playoff. But then, obviously, Morikawa went and, <laughs> and stuck it to eight foot and hold the putt. But, yeah, it was just brilliant to see Casey play so well. It was funny, I was watching with my two flatmates who I occasionally make watch golf but don't really know too much about it and they were asking me questions about Paul Casey and I kept saying, oh, he's not going to be a factor, don't worry, he'll fall away, he generally tends to fall away. And they kept asking me, when's he going to fall away then? <laughs> he just didn't and he was brilliant. If you think about it, the, the difference was pretty much Morikawa chipping in, getting up and or chipping in on the, what was it, 14 or 15 instead of uh, not getting it up and down. That was basically the difference. Um, yeah. that, that, that and a masterstroke off the 16th tee. Um, and Casey can absolutely leave with his head held high, but I do. Uh, it's kind of a situation, isn't it? Like like Phil Mickelson and and Henrik Stenson at Troon in 2016, where Mickelson played so well, and the media afterwards were saying, "Well, you must take a lot apart from the fact that you played so well." And then Mickelson re- responded with, "Well, yeah, I played so well, and it still wasn't good enough." So hopefully he takes the positives from it. But I wonder if he, he goes away thinking, "God, oh, that was probably my best chance, and it still wasn't good enough." Hopefully he's still only 43, and hopefully he has a couple more shots. Um, a couple more opportunities left in him, especially if he, if he hits the ball as well as he did tee to green, because I thought that was a very impressive display. Yeah, I think I think we, we really hope that Casey has a few more shots at it. There's this amazing stat, I don't know if, if you guys saw it, but the most major tournaments played in without winning a major since 2002, the, the, the four people are all four Englishmen. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Casey, Westwood, Donald and Poulter. You think, oh, how none of them won a major. You, get to, it's, you just can't believe it, really, can you? But um, let's hope one of them do. <laughs> I know yeah, maybe Casey's got the best chance of, of, of all of them now. Yeah, um, I've really thought there was a good chance of an English winner last night. Uh, Fleetwood played very poor. Uh, Rose played pretty average as well. Um that's yeah. a bit harsh. Shot 67. It's pretty well, good right. round of goal. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. But I, I think he dropped shots early when really he needed to, to get on the yeah. pedal early. I think I think Rose Rose was... Um, his game wasn't quite there this week, was it? No. Uh, it's like, yeah, it was he, like Pebble Beach last year. I mean, it, it just shows you how much of a quality grinder he is, I suppose. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I tend to follow his rounds quite closely on the shot tracking just because I'm a big Justin Rose fan. And especially on that first day, just in the rough constantly... His iron plays nowhere near what it was a couple of years back, and yet he still manages to to grind out a top top ten in the major despite not having his best stuff. It's really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mean, no, when he does actually play really well, he can he can really score really low. Uh, a few other people I just wanted to uh, to quickly touch on. I think Bryson DeChambeau. We need to talk about him. 
Uh, I think I watched more of Bryson DeChambeau than I have done in previous tournaments. And he is so entertaining to watch because you have no idea what is going to happen from shot to shot. Is he going to hit it 350 yards down the middle of the fairway? Is he going to hit it 350 yards onto a fairway so far away from where he's actually aiming, but then get it up and down miraculously from 200 yards? He is one of the most entertaining golfers, I think, to watch at the moment. Uh, and, you know, he, <laughs> him leaning on his driver and breaking it as well was absolutely hilarious as well. So how do you guys think that DeChambeau played? I mean, his best major performance tied fourth, so pretty impressive. Uh, I think he underperformed, to be honest, where he is now. I, I keep saying he's one of the very, very best players in the world, and uh, he, he should have been right up there. Obviously, he was, he was fourth place, but probably could have won that quite easily. Uh, it, it kept annoying me on the commentary where they're like, oh, it's so amazing how he hits it so far, but he hits it so straight. But every time I saw him hit a tee shot, it was so wild. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to him, he's done well to finish fourth when he's driving personally. I thought it was awful. Yeah, I, I, that, that's the thing. He's so aggressive now. He just tries to he tries to hit the green on every hole. It's, he just thinks I. <laughs> he's like happy, he's like Happy Gilmore. He's just trying to hit it as far as he can, and he's just like I'll try and find it. Wherever I hit it, I'll try and find it, and then I'm going to back myself to to miraculously get up and down. But because and, he knows that if he if he smashes a really good one, he's probably going a minimum of three forty off the tee now. So he's still probably got a wedge into even the longest par fours. So he just obviously thinks it's worth the risk in taking driving because he's still going to be able to gouge a wedge out. I mean, look at the seventh as well. Everyone was laying up there, and he carried it into the greenside bunker. Actually, yeah. got a little bit unlucky not to carry onto the green. There it was about a three hundred and forty yard carrier. I think he's fantastically entertaining. Uh, he was 400 through seven as well, wasn't he? Came firing out of the blocks, him and Tony yeah. Finau. Another one who I was really impressed with, actually. You might might have expected Finau to, to fall away, as, as he has done in the past in majors. And again, I wonder if the fans were a factor there. Um, but those those two bogeys on, on eight and nine kind of knocked his momentum a little bit. And he did actually get very, very unfortunate on 16. I thought that his tee shot was going to roll down to about three or four foot. But unfortunately, he just stayed up on the edge of the bunker. Yeah, yeah. he, he almost the identical drive to Morikawa, but Morikawa's turned slightly left and towards the hole, and DeChambeau's just turned slightly right and towards the bunker. So, um, I mean, DeChambeau was right in it, wasn't he? Right, right to the end. Um, and he's just, I, I just wonder if he's going to win a major, you know, he's he's got to try and take these explosions out of his game, and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that. Um, I'm trying to think what where, where's the chance that that I think something he might have his best chance at Augusta. Augusta, Augusta, because he's passing well, yeah. and you can get away with being slightly wayward at Augusta on some holes. Having said that, on others, if you're wayward, you're behind a tree. Well, yeah, but generally there is space in amongst the trees at Augusta National to kind of feed yeah. something round or use the slopes to your advantage or punch something low. Um, but I can I can certainly see him contending at Augusta, and in fact, I would expect him to contend at Augusta. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's not only the length; it's the height that he hits the ball as well at the moment. I think the comments... Yeah, him and Finau were having a high off, weren't they? Yeah, they're, saying they, they're just, you know, they're just taking over these trees, but they say that usually you wouldn't be able to do that. And they just take it over them by miles. And you're like, well, it's really impressive. Um, so I I think DeChambeau could have maybe a chance at Augusta. I think at US Open, I think he's he'd struggle because I think he, if he hits it so wide, he's going to be find some trouble. Uh, he's got a modified strategy at the US Open, surely. Well, he, he won't, though, will he? 
he's just he's just gonna try and he's gonna try and drive every green there as well and i can't wait to watch it <laughs> he, he, he hit three wood 320 he doesn't need uh, in fact i was surprised actually at the club selection of the tee at this tournament as a whole i mean a lot of people hitting drivers there are very few three woods of tees were there i thought yeah. a few people might just tone it down a little bit to put it in play especially given how thick the rough was but no it's just a case of all-out attack and if you looked at the, the top end of the leaderboard virtually everyone up there was someone who had kind of um ball speeds of 180 mile an hour plus like all the big hitters seem to congregate at the top of the leaderboard apart from morikawa who you'd only say is an average hitter yeah but maybe slightly longer than average i think yeah, yeah i think morikawa's good at everything to be honest with you um i've got a couple of other people that we've already touched on tony fina i think he played really well i've been gutted because i tipped him uh, a couple of days before and so um he again he's surely got a major in him and he's i think he's just the odd mistake here and there but he, he was right there till the end, wasn't he? Uh, really he didn't bad. really make any mistakes, to be honest with you. He got up and down a couple of times, made a couple of key birdies around 14 and 50, 13 and 14, I think, where he hold one in from the front edge. Uh, I couldn't criticise him at all for his performance. It was just a case of a moment of inspiration from someone else, unfortunately, that mm. took it away from him. J John Rahm, who hardly got mentioned, I think, throughout the first few days. I watched quite a lot of Rahm the first few days, and he seemed to be a bit twitchy, um, which we always worry about at majors. Uh, but he finished seventh in the end, and that meant that he meant back to world number one. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy week for him. He uh, he didn't play well last week in his first week as world number one, gave it back to Thomas. Uh, and then, yeah, he looked like he played the same way, clearly struggling with his game. And obviously, we know how good John Rahm is. We know what a competitor he is. And he managed to get it round in seven under i think for the week and yeah yeah good on him i think thomas was down at one under or something so he struggled but but yeah that, that world number one spot's just like a complete merry-go-round at the moment yeah isn't it? it's a, I, I looked at it it's point zero one four or something you know it's just a tiny tiny margin between ram and thomas in the world rankings at the moment so they'll probably change again next week um but yeah i think rob he didn't play very well the first couple of of rounds he only just kind of really squeaked in made the cup didn't he so um uh yeah it wasn't i think it the course didn't suit him he it, he he was struggling i think a little bit off the tee so uh, i think he had a few bits of rough trouble uh and someone else who didn't seem to uh enjoy the course that much was roy McIlroy, who finished down in 33rd and then and afterwards he it's an amazing quote uh that came from Rory, he said, I don't know, maybe I'm just not as good as I used to be. I don't know. It's not like Rory being very down on himself. Yeah, yeah. shades of shades of uh, Sergio Garcia at the Masters a few years back where he said he wasn't good enough to win a major. Um, it's quite hard to account for. And I think you sometimes see this with, with players who are so naturally talented. And, and listen, this is pure conjecture. I've never met McElroy. I don't know. I don't have access to his mind. But I just get this, this feeling that he's not as obsessed with you know, dominating world golf as obviously Woods was and some other people in the past. I just he just strikes me as a guy who's got incredible natural talent, can find find these pockets of brilliance, but they're actually happening more and more infrequently at the moment. But it just doesn't want to give his whole life to the game. And that's just my impression. I could be total I could be completely wide of the mark there, but that's just how I assess the situation. Yeah, I agree with you a bit there, Knight. He's he's worth like two hundred million dollars, isn't he? He's He's happy, he loves to read, he loves just living a good lifestyle and it just seems that golf is just part of his life and it's not everything, which is obviously great for him. He's 
he's achieved everything in the game that he wants to, barring winning the Masters. And yeah, I, I'm not sure he's got that drive. Maybe it is because of the money, or or maybe it's because of confidence. Um, his grip looks a bit strong to me, if that's something technical you could perhaps say. But if you look at the top of the leaderboard, the Morikawa's, John Rahm as well, finishing seventh, not having his best stuff. DeChambeau finishing fourth. McElroy does look way off the pace at the moment. And um, I was looking at the stats. I think he hit 44% of fairways. He was negative strokes gained for the week on the greens. So there's two things that Morikawa absolutely outclassed him by. And looking forward to majors in the FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, I guess they'll what he'll look at sorting out. Yeah, I, I think um, I think we've got to be... I'm going to try and stick up for Rory a little bit here. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, because before lockdown, he was world number one. He was playing absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? He was... He was on an incredible run of consecutive top tens, I think, wasn't he? Since we've returned after that break, he hasn't been, he hasn't reached that form yet. Uh, I don't think he's had a top ten actually, has he? So, um, I think it's just a slightly unfortunate timing where his game suddenly not quite where it was um, at the start of the year, uh, and I think he does actually put too much pressure on himself on the majors, and I think there's too much expectation on him on the majors, and he feels that quite. Quite a lot. I think he does actually care about that quite a lot, actually. Um, and I think those quotes kind of prove that. Maybe he's thinking about, oh, maybe I'll, you know, I'm just just struggling a bit at the moment, and maybe people have just gone past me. Uh, I don't know, but um, I, I I have a feeling that Rory's going to uh, turn his form around quite quickly. I think, and whether it's in the playoffs or uh, maybe hopefully in some of the majors to come, I think we're still going to see Rory top 10 because it wasn't that long ago he was world number one just yeah. to be clear i'm not i'm not criticizing him for what i said just then i understand that he, you know he's got a great life and he doesn't want to devote everything to to golf if that is the case i completely understand that i'm just trying to find a reason for why probably the most naturally talented golfer in the world has uh, not really shown up in the majors of late uh, i don't know why i mean he hasn't won a, a major since 2014 that's a long time yeah it's yeah. been six years now since his last pga win and um Klaza, in our, in our group chat with uh, Sam, another digital writer who appears on the podcast occasionally, uh, he said about picking Rory at the start of the week, and I just jokingly said, like, <laughs> picking Rory in a major, you're having a laugh. Like, it's just, it's not a surprise to not see him contend anymore, and I think that's what he's alluding to there. That's what the, the reporter asked in his question. And, you know, we're huge McElroy fans, you know, we love him, and, uh, yeah, I hope that he can get that confidence back and start adding to that tally because that's really what matters. Winning the PJ Tour Player of the Year is great and winning the Players' Championship is great, but it's majors that you're remembered for and, yeah, we just really want him to see him at the top again. Again, it's, it's, it's an issue for me with him in majors where he doesn't have his stuff. He, he really struggles to grind through tournaments, doesn't he? And most of his victories are just his explosive brilliance and, and he looks flawless and impeccable, but... For example, look at Justin Rose this week, as we discussed. Didn't have his best stuff, far from it. Still manages to grind out a top 10. And, and McElroy just end, ends up finishing, what, down in 30th or 40th. And I, I wonder if it's if it's a case of kind of the crowds not being able to gym up when things turn south and he's struggling to motivate himself because he knows he can't win. I don't know. But um, but there's clearly something slightly amiss at the moment. I actually thought he was going to... He started charging on the, on the Friday, didn't he? I think he birdied 7, 8 and 9 and then made and a... Ten. Her, her, and ten and made a horrendous yeah. trip, a triple down the twelfth, which completely killed his momentum. Like had he finished with two more birdies, there he would have been right in the thick of it come the weekend. So yeah, 
Me, me, and, me and Elliot were getting quite excited. <laughs> we were messaging each other. Yeah, that, that triple bogey you made, I, I said at the time, anyone with confidence or anyone with a bit of form is making a bogey there all day long. It was a, a shocking chip he hit to about five foot from just off the side of the green. And then he three-putted. It was like, uh, yeah, it, it just shows that he's got no confidence in his game at the moment, I think. He just seems to have a certain fragility to him at the moment. Um, yeah. And it's quite hard to account for given what he's achieved in the game. Yeah. One other person I want to chat about, which is actually you haven't listed on your list here, Elliot, which is amazing for you, is Tiger Woods, who it was great to see playing. I don't think he was absolutely at his best throughout the week, but actually he had a, a very good final round, didn't he? Um, and it was good to see him playing. How, do, how, do, how did you guys think that he, uh, he he fared? Yeah, I thought he played actually better, or no, not better, but as I expected, he, he was really positive about his chances at the start of the week and his long game was very decent, I thought. Uh, just potted dreadfully in, in rounds two and three and that basically took him out of the tournament. But, you know, first major for him in over a year and I think he'll be pretty happy to dust the rust off and go again at uh, winged foot in September and Augusta in November. I only watched him on the Friday because I, I was out and about on the Thursday and then Sunday he basically finished before I started watching. And I was absolutely shocked by how poor his putting was. <laughs> yeah, he, he played brilliantly. It was, it, was a, it was abysmal, absolutely abysmal. And I was really taken aback to see how badly he was putting. Given how excited everyone was getting about the fact that he was using a slightly new putter before the tournament that was a quarter of an inch longer or shorter or something. Longer. Clearly didn't help him, did it? Longer, there you go. No, well, I was, I when you say that, Nick, so actually on th the reason everyone was getting excited because on Thursday he putted really well and they were just, and there was a lot of chat about it saying look, he's got this new putter and it's slightly longer and I think it's slightly weighted in the heel as well. Um, and everyone was saying, look, this is actually, he's been able to practice a bit more because it's taking less pressure off his back and all this. So everyone was getting quite excited because he actually did putt very well on Thursday and he putted quite well yesterday. It was just those two rounds in the middle which you say is he did putt really, really badly, which, you know, happens. Um, but it will, yeah, as, as I think as Elliot said, it, I think it's, it's going to help take a lot of the rust off. And he still looks like he can he can compete with the rest of them, doesn't he? Oh, it's tricky. It's a bit, bit of a catch-22, I think, because he could really do with playing more rounds and getting more match fit, especially given that everyone else is match fit. But then we don't know how his body's feeling. And, and if he tries to play any more, then he might do himself some some real long-term damage and that might be Kirsten. So obviously he's the only one who knows how best to manage it. But I, I, I mean, I certainly see him struggling to make an impact in the, in the rest of the majors this year myself, given how many other top players are in such good form. I'm just, so, so just to, just to confirm that you're real writing Tiger off at Augusta, yeah? Uh, yes. Noted. Okay. Can, can we make sure we record that and uh, get that as a, a little, uh, little snippet edit? Yeah. Yeah, I don't no, see it happening. I don't, I, I don't see it happening at all. He's played twice, average finishes both the times. I don't know what his schedule is going to be over the over the coming um, weeks for the FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, whether he's going to play all the events or not. But I think he needs more rounds under his belt before those last two majors. Well, that's a great segue, Nick, and I'm going to use that to go to what is happening this week on the PGA Tour. Uh, it is the final event of the regular PGA Tour season. It doesn't seem like it's been going long enough to be the final event. Um, before the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's the Wyndham Champions, uh, Championship at Sedgefield Country Club in North Carolina. JT Poston won last year, going bogey-free for the entire week, which is, was a very impressive performance. This week, Kepka, Fleetwood and Webb Simpson headline the field. 
The top 125 in the FedEx Cup standings will qualify for the Northern Trust, which is the first event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Notals outside the top 125 at the moment include Matt Wallace, Sergio Garcia, Shane Lowry and Danny Willett. Have we recovered enough to try and give a good uh, preview of this event? Who, who, wants to, who wants to tell me who's going to win this event? Elliot, do you want to start? Uh, I, no, um, not on winning the event. I'll, I'll leave that to you as the GM tipster. But I, I do really, uh, really like the Wyndham Championship. I think it's a, a great golf course at Sedgefield. Uh, it's also the Wyndham Rewards Top 10 is, is going to be decided. So uh, Justin Thomas, I think, is going to get $2 million just handed out to him for that. Um, but yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the uh, the top one, two, five at the end of the week. That's always a really good storyline because I think in golf, we forget a little bit about players keeping you know their jobs running and having employment. We just focus a little bit too much on the wins and stuff. So yeah, it'll be really good to to focus more on the, the kind of journeyman guys or the guys really trying their hardest to keep their job. I'll be rooting hard for the man in 126th in the rankings currently because he's got the best name in golf, Bronson Burgoon. So come on, Bronson, get <laughs> it done. Is he, is he your tip then, is he? No, I'll tip Justin Rose. Um, <laughs> it's a shock. I, know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't tip Zander Schofield last week because I thought everyone would get bored of the fact that I always tip Zander Schofield, and then I was regretting that midway through Sunday. But then, fortunately, he fell away. Uh, no, I just think Rose is—he worked very hard in the short game over his two weeks off, and, and knowing him, he won't want to play four weeks in a row. So I think if he goes out, puts in a really good performance here, then he can possibly take the Northern Trust off and then really refocus for the last two events. And and I'd actually be surprised not to see a, a top ten for Rose in this event. Just, uh, just confirm, Bronson Bagoon is 250 to 1 uh, for this event, and Justin Rose is a lot shorter than that at around 20s. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Jordan Spieth this week because obviously he didn't play well last week, but he did make the cut. Had uh, two good rounds out of the four rounds, I think. Uh, it's going to be a much easier golf course, much easier off the tee, and he's not going to have anywhere near the pressure on him. So, yeah, be interested to see how he goes. Yeah, he shot, I think he shot a 67 and a 66 or 68, but then also had a 76 and a 77. Yeah. So, you know, and that's been his problem now for a good few years. He just cannot play four good rounds of golf in a week. Um, it, it is a bit bizarre. I, I'm going to go out and say um, I think Tommy Fleet was going to have a good week this week. I thought he, you know, he's hard. He has not played that much golf. And I, I was quite impressed that actually he was figuring at all in the week just gone. I was impressed by how, how he played, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I think actually he's just going to go continue to go from strength to strength. So um, Tommy Fleetwood's my my first pick. And then my second is someone who I just looked at. And is uh, is Rafa Cabrera-Bello, who's 150 to 1. Who I know Nick's going to say he doesn't win golf tournaments. Um, uh, because that's what he always says when I mention Rafa Cabrera-Bello. But he's an awesome golfer. And uh, as you say, I think he can score very well around any golf course. But I think uh, at Sedgefield, I think he'll, he'll any score. golf course that's not a major championship golf course. Uh, look, stop, stop, stop hating golfers. You know, uh, you know he's a very good player. So uh, yes, I'm, he I'm, is a good player, but his, his major record's poor. Oh, all right, well, so is mine. But you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, look, I'll put my neck on the line here as ever. I'm actually picking and picking someone, not hiding in a corner like Elliot. So uh, there you go. That's the Wyndham Championship. But then we've also got the European Tour continuing their UK swing. And we are going to touch on who won last week uh, in in a moment. But this week we've got the Celtic Classic, which is 
the first of two weeks uh, at Celtic Manor. And last week, there was a really good story around the winner, and that was Andy Sullivan, who won by seven shots at Hamby Manor, for his first tour win in almost five years. He finished at a very impressive 27 under par. Uh, and Andy Sullivan, I actually watched the last couple of hours of this. He was... He was a bit twitchy around the turn because he's, he, he, I think he had a five-shot lead going into the final round and he'd let a few strokes uh, fit away. But then he holed absolutely everything coming in and uh, to get to 27 under par and to win by a mile. And, uh, you know, Andy Sullivan, very, very popular character on tour. I think he's very popular with everybody. Everyone knows he's a really good lad and he's, um, he has struggled with his game since that incredible year when he managed to get to the Ryder Cup team. So really good to see him in the winner's circle again. Elliot, you watched a bit of this as well, didn't you? Yeah, uh, absolutely dominated. 27 under par is just ridiculous. So, yeah, good on him. He's back in the world's top 100 as well. And first victory, like you said, in, in almost five years. So far too long out the winner's circle. Nick, great, great to see Sullivan back in the winner's circle. Oh, absolutely. As you say, he's a very likeable chap. We used to do quite a lot of work with Andy Sullivan because he was our playing editor a couple of years back and mm-hmm. certainly very popular with the Golf Monthly team as he is with his peers. And when he's on form, he's a hell of a player, you know. I mean, you forget he appeared in the Ryder Cup, didn't he, after after that three-win season in 2015. So hopefully this springboards him again going forward because I think he's had a couple of off-course issues, possibly. I know that his, his brother-in-law, I think, died recently along with another one of his friends. So it was quite an emotional victory for Sullivan. And I'm, I'd love to see him continuing to uh, to put his name on leaderboards because he's a quality player with, with proven pedigree at this level and hopefully make a push for the Ryder Cup team in 2021. Yeah, he's, he's definitely somebody probably that would come top of the list of the professional golfers that you like to have a beer with. I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, remember, he wasn't he wasn't just in the Ryder Cup team. He actually led. He was actually in the first group on the first on the first day with Roy McIlroy, wasn't he? Actually, mm-hmm. he led the team off. So. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, he's had a few issues the last few years, but really good to see him winning and smiling and uh, and, and doing very well again. So Strong this, beard as well, very strong beard. Very strong, very good point. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, very, very strong beard. Something you could only dream of, Nick. Um, Absolutely. Just about um, manage a, a semi-respectable moustache. Well, yeah, quite. I think semi, semi-respectable is over-egging it, to be honest with you. And Sullivan is playing this week at... Celtic Manor, and he is the favourite, and you get him at about twelve to one. Has anyone else had a chance to look at the field and seen anybody else that think that might do do well this week? Yeah, it's quite a good field, isn't it? And I'm quite intrigued to see how Thomas Peters is going to get on. I think this is his first event since lockdown. I'm not sure why he didn't play in England, but uh, I'd be very intrigued to monitor his his um, play throughout the course of the week. Uh, uh, but I'm going to go for his compatriot Nicholas Colsart. So I watched probably an hour on Friday. And Colsarts was absolutely striping it, hitting it miles and actually holding a few putts, which is always an issue for Colsarts. Um, and I really like him. I think he's a really cool guy, really friendly and approachable and nice. So I'd like to see him do well. So I'll tip him this week. Great stuff. Elliot, anyone that you've seen? Yeah, I think uh, Thomas Detry should uh, should be tournament favourite. I'm surprised he's not. But I quite like the look of Kurt Kitayama, quite a big Kurt Kitayama fan. And uh, I think he actually played with Rory was it yesterday or, or maybe in the third round? So probably that's a reason not to pick him to be quite tired, but he's going to be very um, match sharp, I, I guess, after playing such a difficult course in San Francisco and making a cut as well. 
I was also going to mention Kurt Kitayama, so I've just had to quickly think of someone else to, to tip. And I, luckily, I have, which is someone who I've tipped before and had a win with before, and that's Dean Burmester, the South African, who played very well at the weekend, finished sixth. Also did uh, did a very comical faint onto the floor, a la Greg Norman at the Masters when uh, when Fowler was beating Norman, when he uh, his chip somehow didn't go in. But he was he's a very entertaining golfer. He is one of those golfers that we've mentioned before, like the Shambo, where he just hits the ball as far as he can and then tries to find it and then get it onto the green. And um, Celtic Manor can be a bit of a slog, so I think some of the bigger hitters might have some success this week. So. Uh, for all our betting tips for uh, both the Wyndham Championship and the Celtic Classic, do go to the Golf Monthly website or or just Google Golf Betting Tips and click on the Golf Monthly posts. Does um, Kurt Kitayama not have to quarantine? He may get an elite athlete exemption on, on that side of things, but he'll be uh, he'll be in the European Tour bubble this week. He'll get tested. So, yeah, I, I guess that's probably how he's playing. I think there are things going on in the background which allows people to go from that to that for certain reasons. So, uh, yeah, but we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. But there's a couple of other points that we wanted to pick up because uh, it's just been so much news going on. Firstly, we need to talk about the Rose Ladies Series final, which we were really, really excited about. Um, everyone, um, I think, has been really happy with how this has been, been run. Uh, all, all, all the... All the ladies have been having such good fun playing on all these great courses, getting a bit of limelight, actually getting some, you know, some pro tournament events. And they get to, to play on the Wentworth West course for the, the grand final. And then suddenly there is this incredible wildfire, which which takes uh, takes a light in nearby Chobham Common, I think is where it started. And the, and the events actually had to be cancelled. Uh, you could make this up, could you, Elliot? <laughs> no, it was a terrible shame. I mean, the, the pictures are absolutely incredible that were on Getty that we had access to. And yeah, just thankfully nobody got injured or, or hurt. I don't think anybody in the local area has been hurt either, which is a relief. I, I think houses had to be evacuated because it's a huge area that was on fire. So yeah, a, a terrible shame. It was the first time ev- ever that there was a, a women's professional event on the West Course. And they only got to play about nine holes in the end. So yeah, Alice Hewson won the final. I think she got about ten grand for that, and Charlie Hull won the Order of Merit for twenty thousand pounds. And yeah, just a really good series. Again, amazing work from Justin Rose and American Golf and, and the guys for putting this together. And we've already seen Gemma Dryberg finish top five on the LPGA, and hopefully, all these women will be in really good form for the start of the LET season this week in Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. And what I was going to say is, I know that. Hopefully next year we won't have been quite the same predic- same predicament as we are this year. But is this something that we'd like to see continue the Rose Ladies Series? Yeah, it definitely could. Perhaps not with the likes of Charlie Hall and Georgia Hall, who will be competing at the top of the game. But perhaps for those uh, journey women, I guess you'd say, or the local English players, yeah, it'd be great to see again. I mean, maybe potentially that serving as. It's kind of an official feeder tour to maybe the, the Ladies European Tour or something like that, whereby there's a mini order of merit for X number of weeks in the top three get uh, Ladies European Tour cards or something like that. that. That would be great progression on that front. But absolutely, I think we all agree we want to see it next year in, in some guys. Yeah, and I, I don't think we, we, you know, we've mentioned before that the Ladies European Tour is struggling a little bit and there's not a huge amount of events in there. And I do think that they, 
you know, all these all these organisations and people organising these things are doing well. We really do need to get round the same table and see what they can work out because uh, we've seen that this has been a success. It's not a 72-hole tournament. It's an 18-hole one-day tournament. But actually, you know what? That works, you know, and actually the cream still rises to the top in this and um, the action's been very good. So um, I think they've got to be try and be a bit more flexible around how to be success and hopefully this is this is going to be uh, the start of, of more success for those guys because it's been brilliant to see uh, it really has and it was such a shame that a natural event happened and uh, and, and rather ruined the end of it but um let's hope that they get another chance to play in the, in the west course in in the near future yeah well said thank you <laughs> uh so i think we're going to leave it there thanks ever so much for chatting today elliot and nick i know we're all a bit knackered you can all go and have another cup of coffee and get on with some work when we finish this. Uh, but uh, speak, no, speak for yourself. Indeed, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, it's been it's been it's been a yeah, great chatting in a really good week. It's been really exciting, and uh, we've got the US Open in in what five weeks or so, six weeks or so. So uh, you know, a lot of great golf to, to come in between uh, then and now. So um, yeah, we're all really looking forward to it. So. As ever, do follow the Golf Monthly social media channels at Golf Monthly Instagram and Twitter and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. And do check out the Golf Monthly website for all the reaction, the fallout from the PGA Championship and uh, loads of other uh, latest news. We've got some new gear launches coming out today as well. So do check them out. And also the new issues on, on sale on Thursday as well, isn't it, Nick? As you say, Tom, yeah, there's some great stuff on our new issue, which uh, hit shelves on Thursday. There's some good features on what separates the best from the rest. There's an interview we did with, with Paul McGinley focusing on on how the cream really rises to the top and, and how their makeup perhaps differs from other people who don't quite make it. There's a big feature on how to become a better ball striker without changing your technique dramatically, which is something that our editor, Michael Harris, has put in play recently and has seen great results from. Um, an interview with Ben Sharp, how to make golf more fun. How Mizuno spot stars of the future. There's a um, detailed range warm-up plans, tips from Patrick Cantlay, and then the usual stuff that you're used to. It's a jam-packed issue, as always, and um, we hope you enjoy reading it. Sounds like a bumper issue, Nick. And, of course, we've got a brand-new cover star as well. Uh, none other than our uh, than a member of staff this time in the form of technical editor Joel Tadman. So um, check out what Joel looks like on the latest issue of Gold Monthly uh, from Thursday. Uh, guys, thanks ever so much for chatting. We will speak again next week when we'll have a look at who did manage to get into the top 125 and who did well at Celtic Manor. So uh, until then, look after yourselves and we'll speak to you then.